I don't know what it is about the pandemic. Everybody is riding bicycle now. So <laughs> yeah, I know. I saw your bicycle there. So yeah. a couple of guys were riding bike and they they invited me to come. I'm like, bro, man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not about that life <laughs> yet. <laughs> yet. Hi, welcome to Life on Purpose, the podcast where we talk about living your full existence on purpose through six buckets of faith, fitness, family, focus, finance, and friends. I'm your host, Lana Bimero. Let's jump right into it. So in this episode, I talked to Pastor Fikayo Olu Ayeni, who is the pastor of New Song, a church in Virginia. And we talk about really your ministry. And I know ministry is kind of a heavy word for some of us, but really ministry is your service. It's what you've been given to do here on earth as God's plans and purposes for you. Um, you know, we also talk about Pastor uh, Fikayo Olu Ayeni's book, uh, which is titled Discovering Your Identity in God. And it's basically how you see yourself through God's eyes. And so uh, we delve into a few things. We talk about, you know, the salt factor and we talk about really you know, how, to, how to really connect to that purpose that God has for you in store as you identify who you are. You can find his book on Amazon um, and you literally just search his name, Pastor Fikayo, or just search Fikayo Olu Ayeni. All right, so today I have Pastor Fikayo Olu Ayeni um, on Life on Purpose. I'm truly thankful for uh, for you jumping on with with me on here. Um, you, and one of the things that folks that listen will probably already know is that Life on Purpose is birthed out of a desire to uh, impact lives, to uh, live full existence on purpose. And, and I kind of work off six Fs that I always like to share, which is faith, fitness, family, focus, finance, and friends. Faith, fitness, family, focus, finance, and friends. And the idea for me is that, you know, we can almost put a lot of our life into such buckets. Um, and so today, you know, I was hoping to talk to you about, um, call it a, your watch, your watch. And, and, and by definition, in my mind, your watch is, you know, the assignment that, that's given to, to an individual, you know, and, and that kind of goes into the focus bucket, the focus bucket, which, you know, for me, I'm, uh, like I said, having those buckets help me think and focus is I'm focused on God's plans and purposes or what he's asking me to do specifically. So, so today we'll be talking about your watch. Um, and, and so before we kind of get deep into it, uh, Pastor Ayani, I would like for you to kind of just give a little introduction, tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll jump right in. Oh, okay. Thank you for having me again. Um, so a little bit about myself. Well, well, I mean, maybe I should just go ahead and tell you some of the things that people don't know about me. I like uh, that. I'm, I'm actually quite an introvert. Uh, so if left to my own wiles, <laughs> I probably wouldn't, you know, when people were kind of complaining about lockdowns and such, I, I barely even noticed that we were locked down because I'm, I'm really an introverted person. Uh, but I'm, I'm surrounded by extroverted people. Um, my wife is the life of the party. Mm -hmm. Children, are extro uh, uh, they're extroverted. My daughters, I have two daughters. And um, especially my first daughter, she's extremely extroverted. And so they, they give me a life, I should say, really. So yeah. um, I enjoy long and quiet walks without interruption. And, um, and also just spending time with them. Uh, those extroverted people who bring all the energy into my life. So yeah. that's a little about me. That's awesome. So it's funny you say that. And uh, it's really funny because um, my mom, um, my mom came in to um, spend some time with us right before COVID. And as a result, she has stayed much longer than that. She's been there with us about a year and a half now getting ready to head back home to Nigeria. Um, but, you know, she's leaving this weekend and yesterday we were catching up on a small, small talk conversation and somewhere in there, the conversation got to, you know, I don't know how you don't talk so much and you weren't like that before, like, what, you know, like, so, my, you know, and then I was thinking, I was like, what happened? She actually had me thinking, like, I, I think I grew up being, I started off being an extrovert, but I at some point started 
enjoying my own solitude. I literally right. started to enjoy, you know, like just, just, you said long walks. I mean, that is amen. All yeah, the way for uh, me. absolutely. I, I, I say it this way. I thrive in solitude. And, and someone said, you, you probably just recharge in solitude. So, I mean, before we get deeper, but like, would you define that as being an introvert? Like, is that the definition of introvert? Someone who thrives in solitude or is it just, how else? Well, I mean, I think there, there are layers to it. I don't think anyone can be defined so simply. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're intricate and complex individuals. So awesome. I, I I would really hesitate to simp overly simplify personalities, but um, I, I can talk about myself. Um, yeah. I think I both thrive in solitude and recharge in solitude. Mm. Uh, I remember my wife said some time ago, she said that she was traveling with the kids. Uh, they were going um, out of the country mm -hmm. and they were gonna be gone for two weeks or something like that at Christmas time. And I had to be behind because I had to stay behind because of, um, because at that time we didn't have we didn't have a lot of um, support in ministry, so I had to stay behind to do all the you know the New Year stuff and the, right. the Christmas. And as she was leaving, she said, "I'm sure you're probably going to go back home and do a little victory dance." <laughs> and it's going to be super quiet in the house. Um, so yeah, I really thrive in solitude, but. I've also grown to learn that it's not always a good thing. Mm. So I'm, I'm really grateful for the energy of people around me who are extroverted and who bring me out of my shell every so often and um, who just, you know, color my life essentially. So I'm, I'm grateful for people like, you know, my family and, and people like Tenny. Tenny is actually quite an extrovert as well. So, you know, um, oh, cool. yeah. Cool. Um, thank you for that. So jumping into some of the Q and A's, um, you know, when I think about your watch and, and the title or the topic that we're um, going to kind of just bant a little bit about, you know, I think about and I said this earlier, but you know, our God-given purpose, um, and, and and for some people, you know, when you, when you use the word ministry, if you're somewhat of a baby Christian or if you're somewhat still trying to, you know, get it get your feel into service, you know, ministry could be a heavy word. It's like, man, you know, I'm going to ministry or I'm doing ministry. Or like, Please, bro, slow down. Let's, let's slowly get into it, you know, but, you know, maybe your watch, right? And, and that's, that's the idea. It's like your ministry is your watch. So how would you define a ministry? Okay. So it's actually really simple. Um, and I think, Perhaps one of the things I'm celebrated for is my simplicity. I don't know if that's always a good thing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, being a simpleton is not a, always good. <laughs> but I think it's I always, good. <laughs> well, <Just> me. <laughs> well, I always, I always like to take things um, as simply as possible. And because I, I, I feel very strongly that if you understand something, if you understand something thoroughly, explaining it to another person shouldn't be too difficult a task. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always felt that if, you know, after a teaching, you have to go solve for X um, and, you know, you're, you're trying to just uncover everything that has been taught in this really complex manner. And it's, it's also profound. I've often found that God is not in so much that as he is in simplicity but you know um to your question about ministry uh, to define it simply ministry is simply service mm. and it's serving god and serving people mm. uh, because the word itself ministry that's actually what it means you know to, to minister means to serve to minister to someone means to serve that person and so when we talk about ministry, it isn't particularly something super spiritual or, or incredibly profound. It just talks about service. Even in government, when we talk about ministry, it's just a it's a it's a group of people who are civil servants and they're serving the public in a certain kind of way. And so when we talk about ministry, 
as believers and we say, what's your ministry or your, your doing ministry, you're, you're practically just serving. And in fact, even coming to church on Sunday, in a way, is ministry. Just going, to, not even being the preacher or anything, going to church is, is ministry because it's called service, right? You're going to service. Ah, yeah. There you go. There you go. I got you on that one. Yeah. So it's that's part of ministry. So it's, mm. it's something too far fetched or profound. It's just when we serve God, we're in ministry. When we serve people, we're in ministry, no matter what form that might take, you know. So, man, that, okay. I, I appreciate that. Two things you said there. You know, when you go to church, you know, should be told you're going to service and service is ministry so you're going to ministry that's that was that's pretty big uh, i don't want people to to lose out on that intel and the second thing you said that i thought was pretty cool was connected and for some of us who are um from you know maybe the uh british uh colonial background nigerian or whatnot you, you right. describe ministry from the you know um you know here in america it might be considered you know department of health or something and stuff right. like that, you know, but ministry and in, in, in the governance and in public administration, it's service as well. So um, that's so so that way, it's not such a heavy man, you know, you know, you're doing ministry. I'll share with you personally, I, I you know, when I started to get closer to God and doing more of what, you know, I, I felt he wanted me to do, you know, I'd have people say, how's ministry? I'm like, ah, just please be easy. <laughs> like, this is this is some heavy stuff you're throwing at me, but yeah. uh, I appreciate that simplicity. Um, I want to connect that thinking also to, you know, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 to 20, which says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of time. And so the Great Commission is basically that charge. You know, that's how I see it. I grew up in the Baptist church, and uh, it was one of the things where we we had to learn as royal ambassadors. Royal ambassadors are like the um, the Boy Scout version for the Baptist church. Um, up. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. And, and, and so the Great Commission was one of the biggest thing that we learned, um, you know, how, how can a regular people kind of just connect to that? How can regular people just connect to that great commission of going out? And then maybe if you want to tie that to that ministry that they may be assigned. Okay. Um, that's a question that can probably take us in many different directions. Um, and I'm just going to try to start with what would probably be, be the simplest. Um, so just extending from what I previously said, I think there needs to be a change in the way we approach our Christianity basically um, in this age, because I think there's something that the early church understood that we aren't quite getting yet. And that is this matter of ministry, what it is. Well, I mean, I'm sure they didn't call it that at the time, but they did understand the concept of ministry. So I said earlier on that, for example, going to church, going to service is actually ministry because it's called going to service. Right. Uh, now, I want, you to, I want to just present just a thinking, okay, a, a, a certain paradigm that we have that just needs to change a little bit. Very often, I would say, you know, a good percentage of Christians on Sundays when they're going to service, they have in mind what they're going to get from service, okay? Mm. Um, what is, how is God going to minister to me? And what is pastor going to say that's going to solve my, my problems and have my questions answered? And um, I need an encouraging word from the Lord, so I'm going to go to service. And, um, you know, and so on and so forth. I guess the list is possibly endless. Very few people actually attend service with the mind of I'm going to serve because that's actually what it's called. It's called service. You're coming there to serve. Yeah. All of us are coming to serve, not just the pastor or the, the, the staff in the church or the volunteers. Every one of us, we've come with that mind to serve, that understanding that we're here to serve. And I think as we... As we journey back to that mindset that as a believer, you're born to serve, you're born into Christ, 
to serve. That is the purpose for which God saved your soul. I mean, I think it was Rick Warren who said this. I'm not exactly sure, but I, I think it was, if I remember correctly, reading one of his books. He had said that one of the reasons why God didn't, you know, kill you at the point when you give your heart to Jesus Christ uh, yeah. is so that you can serve. Mm. I mean, if you think about it, I want you to think deeply about it. God mm. actually runs a risk leaving you here leaving you yeah <laughs> because there yep. is risk of his massive investment being yep. tarnished in some way or another um the risk of you turning back from following him yep. uh, and so on and so forth it, it is entirely to god's benefit if he you you're saved and he kills you right away yep. yep but if he did that then no one would actually be able to share the gospel with you right because yeah was someone who shared the gospel with you and then you became yep. saved and now on and on. you're passing you know you're passing on the baton to someone else as well and so in god's mind you know it is worth the risk quote unquote you know and you know i'm saying this um with great uh peril of mm -hmm. uh, of just a semantic disaster here but you know I, I'm, I'm going to trust at the points we passed across uh in in god's mind it's almost worth the risk to leave you here to serve the risk of your of him losing you is almost worth it when pitted against the benefits of what your service can produce okay now i want you to understand that god is a is a is a god of love and he is absolutely a businessman as well. And God gave Christ so that all of us could come to be sons. Okay. The suffering of Christ was to yield. Yeah. The investment. The sonship yeah. of many. Exactly. Yep. So in the same way, uh, God is gifting us to the world mm. so, that, so that many can come to him through us, through our very lives. And so when our minds shift from that whole, give me, give me, give me childish approach to our faith um i think it melds ministry with the great commission quite nicely yeah. once we have that right mindset and before i sort of you know um hand over back to you to ask whatever the next question will be to this let me let me sort of paint a picture for us here so that we can understand a little bit better sure. so now i have two daughters one one is seven years old and the other one is three years old. And sorry, uh, quick segue. I have a six going to be seven in November and a three going to be four in September. That's interesting. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. Two boys. Two boys. And um I I actually have a uh 15-day-old daughter. So, but uh Whoa. Oh, yeah, I that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that is that's sorry for the interjection but yeah no, no, no. have you been getting lots of sleep lately oh you know i'll, I'll tell you more about that at, at a later point but yes oh, all right i'm getting i'm getting there <laughs> yeah okay well yeah. you know so i have these two girls and my at one point you know i told you my elder daughter she's more extroverted than everyone in this house and right. she she She's not afraid to speak her mind and she's very expressive. She came up to me and she asked me, she's like, you know, dad, I, I don't think you're being fair. So I was like, you know what, explain yourself. What, what do you mean? So she says, you know, practically, and this is when my daughter, my younger daughter was, was two or so. It's like practically anything that Rin wants, you give it to her and, um, <laughs> She's always just asking for stuff. You never ask me to do things, but I have to do chores. I have to <laughs> have responsibility. And you, don't give me, you still don't give me everything that I ask for. Mm. So I explained to her how it works. So, you know, in the same way, when you're, you're, you're a babe in Christ. Right. I mean, I'm sure you can probably attest to this because it's probably the same with every one of us. When you first came to Christ, it, it almost seemed like God was just waiting on edge, waiting for you to ask for anything. You know, and then through answers your way, okay? Yep. Before you pray, your prayers are answered. You ask God for practically anything and you almost literally get everything you ask God for because 
you're still a babe. You're still a baby. Mm -hmm. You're a child. You know, you give a child everything a child asks for. The child cries, and you give the child milk. Right. And if that doesn't work, you you pick them up, and you you rock them back and forth. If that doesn't work, you you lay them down and you try to change their diaper. You you're you're practically running around, you know, trying to figure out what this child wants, just so you can give it to the child. Right. But then as the child begins to grow, you have to teach the child the meaning of the word no. Mm. And I actually remember very vividly when I taught both my daughters the meaning of the word no. It was a harrowing experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can imagine because you know, I, oh, yeah. this, I, I'm a new girl dad. So I'm, I'm, I'm learning the reality even in this short <laughs> couple of weeks that man, she is going to have me wrapped around her finger. I'm not careful. So yeah. I can only imagine you having two amazing daughters. Yeah, no, no. It, it was difficult to tell them, no, you have, but you have to. Yeah, you do. Um, you have to teach them that lesson very early as soon as they can understand it. Because if you don't, then you're going to raise maladjusted human beings. Mm. People who just expect everything to be given to them or granted to them. And in any case, you can't you can't keep giving them everything they ask for because it's just it'll it'll affect their development, right? Correct. Um, if you cry at night at two a.m. and I go to your room and you're you're two year old, um, that's okay. And I'm like, what's going on? And it's like, I want milk. I bring you milk. Um, I want water. I bring you water. I need to be changed. I change your diaper. When you're seven years old, that is no longer cute. That is no. that is problematic, you know. And um, the problem with many of us as believers is that we remain as infants and toddlers. We never grow past that phase. And we just expect oh. them doing everything for us without any form of responsibility. Um, we, we, we essentially abdicate responsibility before we oh, now in the first place. So when we change our thinking about, about our lives as believers, then that wouldn't even be a question. The Great Commission will be just that, the great commission. The yeah. one and singular thing that we live for every single day. Not, not that we don't do other things, not that you don't do run your business or do your work, or whatever the case may be, but that becomes the singular driving force that you have. It's like everything I do is, to the, is for this purpose. If I run my home well and, and I'm devoted to my family, it's so that I can have a testimony mm -hmm. towards the great commission. If I excel at work on my career, it's so that again, I can have access to execute everything we do then begins to narrow into that one thing that uh, we've been commanded to do so i don't know i hope i at least no that was that, that that was awesome i love the 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 analogy and the reminder of you know children and babes and because we are children before our father in heaven and so that relationship is is truly you know it's truly how we are with him that relationship yeah. is truly how we are with him. um so Matthew 5, and I think it's 13, talks about being the salt of the earth. Um, yeah. And in your book, um, Discovering Your Identity in God, you had shared um, two uses of salt. Can you kind of just touch on that? And then maybe as you share those two uses of salt, connect that to, you know, ministry in general. No, that's it. Okay, so um, I think I talked about two characteristics qualities of salt, right? Correct. Um, that God expects us to mirror as Christians in our lives. And I think the first one I said was that salt is um, noticeable because you sprinkle salt on anything and you immediately notice its presence there. Um, you can't, it has an unmistakable taste. You can't mistake salt for, for something else or anything else. It's, it's what it is. Uh, it's extremely noticeable. And I don't think that's anything that, that's, I don't think that's a, a fact that anyone can argue with. And um, if, if you are in any doubt, then you, all you have to do is put a few drops, a few grains of salt in your eye. And you would know very, very soon that salt is noticeable. You know that it's there immediately I, your eye. <laughs> I love, I love how you described, you know, you getting, you go into a friend's place and 
trying to get a glass of milk and yeah. you, you you thought the salt was sugar and yeah. you spots it out completely so yes, yeah hey, salt is those two life theory honestly <laughs> and it's not it's not uh it's not uh something i'll be trying again anytime <laughs> soon. <laughs> it was it was quite pungent but in any case um so salt is noticeable and right that is who we ought to be as believers now not noticeable because we are just obnoxious and plain weird and um you know just you know everything that much of what believers have become known for nowadays you know those guys who are always making all this noise about like some something or the other and protesting against one thing or the other and um, um, you know, that's not what the word of God is saying about being noticeable. There is just something about our character that should be incredibly beautiful, that should stand out. You should be like a rose among thorns as a believer. And it's, it's almost impossible if you're walking, I have a rose bush, uh, you know, outside my home and, um, you know, I, I have no idea how often these things are supposed to bloom, but it seems like every time it rains, it blooms. It doesn't matter what season we're in. And much of the other times, it's just thorns. I mean, they have these long thorns sticking out of their the stems and everything. It's just, it's, you don't want to go there. <laughs> you don't want to, it's just, you know, it scratches you up and everything. But whenever the roses begin to bloom, one or two start, as you're walking by, you, you immediately know, it's the first thing you notice because it's, it's this really bright pink flower in the midst of thorns and you immediately notice that. That is who we are supposed to be as believers. And when people hate us, they should hate us, not because we warranted the hate or the hatred, but because of what works inside of them, the, the wow. darkness that is inside of them. And wow. they themselves will know. Because, you know, when, when Christ was, um, was being persecuted at, at his passion, even they knew that the man had done nothing wrong. <laughs> yep. Okay. But there was something inside of them driving that hatred. That's who we are called to be as believers. So when I say salt should be noticeable by our character, by our association with people at work, school, wherever we are represented, in our family, and let me actually say that's probably one of the places where um, you are set up to succeed or fail the most, <laughs> yeah. because people in your family they know who you are. Okay, yeah. not you can't pretend. It's not about clapping loudly and speaking loud tongues or singing mm. loudly or mm. anything. They know you. They know mm. what you know your day to day is like. Mm. Even there, when people scrutinize our lives. Um, at close range, we should be just these standout individuals, silently noticeable. You know, that's what salt is. Yeah. Salt doesn't, you know, make a great deal of noise, but just go ahead and put a little bit more than you need to in your food. <laughs> and you will. And you'll know that, yeah. You know that it's there. <laughs> it's a little yeah. bit different. And if it's missing, you also can tell right away that. So that, that was the first thing I said. I said, you know, it's, it's noticeable. That's a, that's a characteristic of salt, that uh, a quality of salt that the Lord wants us to mirror as believers. And another thing I said is that salt is contagious. It makes everything it touches uh, taste like itself. Mm. Yeah. You put a Christian, and I'm mm. not saying pop culture Christian. I'm saying a believer, a true believer, put him in yeah. any, any situation and just give it time. Um, before long, that situation begins to turn around to taste Christian. <laughs> yeah. If, if, you know, you don't mind my mixing metaphors here. But here's what it is. I, and I, I'll probably give an illustration to bring that home. Um, in, in Acts of the Apostles, I believe chapter eight, is a story of Philip, the evangelist Philip, who, right. uh, when there was persecution in Jerusalem was um, driven out of Jerusalem and went into Samaria and began to evangelize Samaria. And the word of God says at his coming, 
the town was filled with joy. The whole city rejoiced at his coming. Not, not because he was some superstar and everyone knew him and everything, but just because he entered that city, joy pervaded that city. Um, his life brought this, this salt into that city that caused everything to taste like him, okay? I have a, uh, someone who's sort of a, a senior in ministry to me, a senior brother in ministry to me. And um, he was telling me one, one story, an experience from his life. He said when he was, when he was growing in his walk with God, he, um, he learned to take responsibility for his neighborhood. And um, one of the things that he always did was he always prayed over his neighborhood. Now, he grew up in, um, in a part of the world, not in this country, where, you know, the, the security was a, it was a concern. It was, was an issue, you know, it was armed robbery, kidnappings, and so on and so forth. And he said in those days, what he would do was that when he came into a, to a neighborhood, he would pray over the neighborhood. He started with, you know, when he came into an apartment complex, he would pray over the apartment complex consistently and take personal responsibility for every life there. Mm. And as long as he remained there, they fared well. Um, and like the word of God says, a thousand can fall at his side, 10,000 at his right hand. That apartment complex that he is in, nothing ever happens to it. And he said on one occasion, in fact, <clears throat> he come into an apartment complex, a condo complex, and um, he, before he came, they had, you know, problems with armed robbery and things like that. And so one day he got careless. One day after he'd come, they robbed his condo complex. They didn't rob his condo, but they robbed the condo complex. And he was reminded of his responsibility. So he went back to praying. And then he said, he told his neighbors that as long as I live here, there will be no more of this in this apartment complex. And he told them where the boundaries would be uh, of security. He says, you know, within these bounds, right. there will be no robbery, there'll be no violence, no nothing. And I'll, I'll guarantee it um, because of the God that I serve. And true to his word, there was nothing, no problem. Um, until the day he left <laughs> and wow. as soon as he left <laughs> everything returned back to normal but in any case uh the believer causes his environment his surroundings to, to begin to you know look resemble him taste like him mm -hmm. um and actually i've learned a long time ago to take social responsibility from not only my neighborhood for also my city the nation that i live in and and you know uh, I've shared this with folks at the church. And if you, if you remember at New Song, you would know this as well, because at New Song, very often, God would reveal to us um, calamity before it comes. And so we, we mm -hmm. intercede, we pray, and we pray for the safety of our city and, um, you know, evil passes over. I, th I think there was another story in Acts of the Apostles. Um, I think it was Paul this time around. He was sailing and um, there was going to be a shipwreck and he'd warned right. people, but they didn't listen to him. Yeah. Um, but while, while they were going um, and um, the storms began to beat, he interceded for all of them. And he said, God guaranteed that he would preserve the lives of the people that were traveling with, with, uh, with him. And so, yeah, that's essentially what it looks like when we cause yeah. our community to taste like us or to be like us. They might not, all be believers, born again believers, but somehow their lives, their lives begin to form this, you know, their lives begin to be tinged by our being there. Yes. Yeah. I, I love that. And I, I was really, I really connected to the idea of the salt. And again, you know, the Bible first, we, 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 I reference speaks to that, but understanding that salt is uh, noticeable and contagious and, and the way you share that I appreciate you sharing that you, you, you did say something that I just want to go back to um, you know you were saying that you know true well actually I think the reference was not you said not pop culture Christians you know right. and it's interesting that in this day and age now you know we're having to qualify Christianity it's quite unfortunate as right. pop culture or you know true believers it's kind of like the whole like 
if you're a believer, I shouldn't have to put true at, to qualify your description. Like if you're, you know, if if you're if you're truly a believer, the characteristics within it's like saying faithful Christian, you know, it's like you, the fact that you're a Christian should faithfulness should be within that definition. Right, right. It's a God help us, God help us, and I pray yeah. there's a revival to the point where you know you'd say that's a Christian and that's it. There is no. Is he a Christian Christian or is he a Christian question mark Christian? You know? Right. Um, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Ecclesiastes, and, and I, I'll say this, I used to, well, I'm still kind of, I used to be a big fan of Solomon and I read a lot of things from Solomon, uh, but my pastor has, has helped me to not only see the wisdom that comes from Solomon, but you know, some of the unfortunate ends of his life. And you could go into the study of his character and you're like, well, maybe, maybe he was wise for a little bit, but then the <laughs> part, <laughs> that's so I'm, I'm always selective. When I when I reference Solomon, I, I always kind of want to go back and, and see context and say, I mean, obviously the word of God is whole when you don't take it in pieces. Right. Uh, but Ecclesiastes 9.10 talks about whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might for in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. So, you know, uh, for someone who is methodological, you know, the Bible could sometimes be somewhat confusing. And it kind of, to the point I was making earlier on, you know, the Bible as a whole, it's not just single pieces to it. Um, right. And a part of that says that is, is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom, where we are going. Um, you know, what exactly are we to take from this? Like, how do you, how do you take that and really, um, really understand and digest it? Here's where I also want to connect. And forgive me if my question is getting long here, but no, no. in your book, you know, you talk about being a vessel for God and, and, right. and you know, so just share a little bit of thought around this whole, um, you know, let your hand find something good to do. Okay. So, um, yeah, no, I, I'm actually really glad that you asked that question. And I'm also glad for the context you provided that you're a methodological, methodological thinker, because um, I also suffer from the same affliction, okay? Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, I, I think it's, it's a scientist thing. I don't it know. It probably is, I think you're right. <laughs> we have to, right? <laughs> I think absolutely might be, but... I struggled with understanding various things in scriptures. Um, and even now, sometimes when I come across certain things, I still have questions. One thing that has really helped me is that I've never been, I've never shied away from asking those questions. And I've received grace from God to be able to have my questions answered, which have really helped me to grow and has really deepened my understanding and my faith. Um, and again, this is probably where I learned to teach the word of God very simple, simply. Uh, because every time I've asked a question, God always answered me with the simplest of ways. I mean, just, just in a way that you can explain to a child and the child will understand. So, for example, that scripture that says a, a day with the Lord can be a thousand years and a thousand years can be a day. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that. That doesn't make any sense to me. But <laughs> not not any, scientifically. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me. At, mm -hmm. at the time, I was thinking to myself, well, it's it's either one or the other. You yeah. know, <laughs> you you can't. Now, I can understand if you say that a day with God is like a thousand years. Because mm -hmm. that means that um, God, you know, is he is. Um, I mean, the way he sees things, he sees into the you know, infinitesimal details of things so that it expands a day to be like a thousand years. Right. I can understand that. Um, or if you had it the other way around, which is a thousand mm -hmm. years can be equal to a day before God. I'm like, yeah, that, that I can actually see very much because God is eternal. And right. if he's eternal, if you've lived like, you know, from eternity past, then a yeah. thousand years is like nothing to you. No. So I can understand that. But how can you put both of them in the same sentence, right. and just call it scripture. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just didn't understand. Right. But then, uh, this is how the Holy Spirit explained it to me. And probably only scientists who are listening to this might understand. 
Um, but if you're a scientist, it, it'll be super simple to understand this. You know, <clears throat> you know, the way he explained it to me was this, that he explained to me from Romans chapter one, verse 20, Romans 1, 20 talks about um, the, you know, the eternal nature of God and his Godhead and his eternal power. Eternal power means infinite power. Right. And, you know, what's the formula for power? The formula for power is force times distance over time. Uh, wow. Now, if, if power is infinity, then time has to be zero. Okay, because anything you divide by time, anything, anything you divide by zero, is by zero. Yeah. So right. when God is saying that a thousand years can be a day or a day, a thousand years, it just means time is not a factor. A factor. It, it's zero. Yeah, Got it. Infinite power. Now, that's how I understood that. But it had to make sense to me. Okay. <laughs> now, the scripture you're talking about, where he says, whatever you, you uh, your hands find to do, do with all your might. Because where you're going, there is no work there, there is no wisdom there, and so on. It's basically saying this. And again, it's scripture, so it's inspired. Right. And so even though it came from Solomon, and that's one of the things I love about the word of God is that the word of God doesn't try to sanitize history mm. or the characters that it portrays. It doesn't make them saints and say that they didn't do anything wrong. It just presents the truth about them. And still infallible word of God coming from them. So I love that about the word of God that doesn't sanitize, you know, sanitize history to the point of irresponsibility. But, yeah. but what it essentially means is that we should be dedicated to excellence. And as children of God, as believers, I think this applies to us more than anyone else. Mm. Um, I don't want to turn this into a whole teaching about excellence, but it is actually really really important to God that we are excellent. Now, excellence is not so much um, that you have all these resources and then you produce something really great with all these resources that you have. So you don't have to be rich to be excellent. Right. You don't have to be super brilliant, okay, intelligent to be excellent. Excellence is basically just doing things well. That's basically it. I don't know if you ever met people who don't do things well. They just do things anyhow. As far as it's done, it's done, okay? <laughs> I just want to get it done. Uh, the Word of God is encouraging us not to do things that way. And I will also draw that from two pieces of examples from the life of Jesus. The Word of God says concerning Jesus that they said concerning him that he has done all things well. He's done all things well. When they saw, he said he makes both the blind to see and the deaf to hear. He has done all things well. When they saw the way he did things, that was their conclusion. They said, wow, this guy does all things well. Yeah. And if you come to the, you know, to the, the end of the ministry of Jesus on earth, we find a story of excellence, the likes of which I think both the simplicity and profundity of it just leave you in awe okay mm. in john i believe it's chapter 20 when christ was raised from the dead in the tomb the word of god says when um magdalene had come and had the encounter that she had she right. ran up and got uh peter and john and they came running with her mm. they got to the tomb they went inside the tomb of mm -hmm. jesus the word of God says, because they didn't believe her, the word of God says when John came inside, he saw the the um, yeah. the cloth that yes. Jesus was wrapped in, folded neatly <laughs> at the head and at the foot of where he lay. Yeah. And the word of God says he saw that and he believed because he said, there's only one person I know that does things this well. That's, that's how excellent Jesus was right. and is. Someone was raised from the dead in this, <laughs> and, and it was in I still this had room, time. Okay, <laughs> and it still had time. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, this doesn't look right. Let's put it right. Yeah, that is excellence. Wow. You have to be. You have to be a billionaire to do that. Okay. Right. You just have to have a mind for excellence to do that, and that's what the Word of God says. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it excellently with all your might, and because really, where you're going, there, yeah. everything is already excellent there. Okay, so you, uh, don't have, you don't have 
the opportunity to make an impact in that in that environment mm. as you would here where yeah. you can actually do things excellently and people can say wait how how you know you know what what are you made of it yeah. doesn't matter what it doesn't matter if you're an uber driver or you know you you're you work at mcdonald's or um, anywhere you are represented let that excellence be represented with you because you are a child of god you're born of excellence and you can do nothing but be excellent. So that's essentially what what I've got to say there. And I appreciate that. I, you know, I, I I thought about that Bible verse before about how you know Christ had time to fold and everything. You know, um, but the, to define that as excellence, that's that's truly important, and that's that's something listeners should certainly not miss. Um, you know, excellence. They, just as we were describing faithful Christian and all these within characteristics that when we say someone's a Christian. We should be able to say within that 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 person is excellent in, in all they do. Um, John 14, 12b talks about greater works than these shall you do. For I go to the Father, uh, and the implication there is we have time much more so than Christ did. Christ was 33, um, ministry three years ish, three and a half, right? Um, and, and I always love to think through this that, you know, and the Bible again shares um, important parts and times. But, you know, there was this gap in information about Christ from 12, you know, to 30-ish. So you got, it's like this 18 years of, of building to deliver on three and a half. So back to the whole excellence and preparation or whatnot. But needless to say, ministry time of delivery, 30-something years old, uh, and there was an exit. Um, I, you know, for a lay person thinking through this, you know, or not lay, uh, a, a relatively new Christian thinking through this, it might sound unfair that you know we're being told that greater works than what Jesus Christ did. If you, I mean, like it's been several hundreds, thousands of years, and we're still talking about Jesus Christ. So what you are trying to say, what the Bible is trying to say at this point, and this is me playing lay Christian, right? Is that I, I understand? Do I can't do greater works than? I mean, we're talking about Jesus Christ, who was God and and man at the same time, he was right. without sin completely. You know, if we, the Bible reminds us that if we say we have no sin, uh, we are liars, right? And so, you know, just, just explore that a little bit for us. Okay, so I think it's important for us to understand what that scripture means. Um, because Jesus, who said that, also said that a servant is not greater than his master. Right. So even if he says, you're going to do greater works than me, he doesn't say, you will be greater than me. Mm. You can take that pressure off because we already know how perfect Jesus is. Right. So, <laughs> you know, it's, that's one thing. Secondly, yeah. it is a promise, not a command. Mm. It's not a commandment. He didn't say, you should do greater works than me. I'm commanding you to do greater works than me. He's promising you. And what a promise from God does is that it places the check in your hands. Mm. And you then have the liberty or latitude to take that check to the bank, cash it, deposit it, or whatever else you want, or leave it with you and do nothing with it. Okay, that's what a promise from God is. It's a check in your hands for you to do with as you please. You can appropriate it if you want. And it will, it will be good because there is money in the bank. <laughs> okay. Um, God's checks do not bounce. Bounce, amen. Or you can decide to do nothing with it, ignore it, not believe it, and just leave the check lying around. Yeah. Uh, at which it profits you nothing. So, uh, so take away that sense of pressure that is this really fair that Jesus is saying this. Yeah. Well, it, it's a promise that if you care to pursue this right. you will experience this now let me now let me let me sort of expatiate that part so that we can understand what it looks like uh, when when appropriated jesus never wrote a book never traveled more than 100 miles okay from where he was born mm -hmm. jesus um There were so many things that the ministry of Jesus was limited by. 
Jesus never built any churches. Mm. Jesus never, um, there, there are so many things that Jesus never did in his ministry, his three-year ministry. Mm. Now, ministry was incredibly effective, for sure. But we can be um, more effective in our lifetime than Jesus was in his. In the sense that we can reach more people. We can have a great, Jesus never built a, um, an orphanage or um, a recovery home or a haven or, um, um, or a, a recovery facility for, for drug addicts or anything of that sort. He never did any of those things. He just came and preached the, the gospel of the kingdom and healed the sick and did miracles. Mm-hmm. We can do that mm-hmm. and we can do more. Right. And like he said, and the reason why we can do that is because he goes to his father. He says, I go to, because I go to my father. And we, we have now a mediator, an intercessor, someone who's consistently praying for us, who's consistently um, advocating for us, who's rooting for us, who's enabling us. And we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, working with us, through us, and in us. So really, yes, (laughs) we can do a lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We can, if we care to, appropriate that promise that Mm -hmm. he's given us. So yes, Um, is it unfair that Jesus says that, um, you know, greater works than, than me you will do because I go to my father. The works that I do, you will do also and greater works than these. No, it's not, it's a promise. Um, yeah. We should appropriate it. If we do, we'll see the, we'll see the results of that um, in our lives. Yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. It's a promise. It's not, uh, it's not a command, it's a promise. And you can cash the check knowing that, um, you know, he's got, he's got the bank account. I, I, I love the, um, trying to think of where uh, exactly it is, but, the Bible verse that says, a cattle upon a thousand hills belong to yeah. him. So yeah. there's there's no question as regards his, uh, his bank account or assets. And <laughs> we can cash that promise. Um, all right. So last question before I ask my signature non-related question. But um, Psalm 127 one says, uh, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain so in essence you know and again getting back to the topic of discussion here you know you know my watch your watch the assignments the ministry the service in which we're we're asked to bible here is saying that unless god is involved in that you know and and the last question we're talking about you know we're talking a little bit about you know greater works than these shall shall we do and then you know and i think about this but i want to just just give you the opportunity just share a little bit about how we can really understand that like you know the watchman stays awake in vain if christ is not there so even if we're given a ministry what we're saying is that ministry is is our service but there is also a watchman that's greater please share some thoughts okay um now maybe i should clarify the question you're saying because some people that's their ministry to be the way um And so so the question there, really, it's like, you know, you know, as a, as a, let's maybe I should put it this way. So as a baby-ish Christian, right? And, and you're, now you come into ministry and then you're growing progressively. And then, you know, actually, let me use an example. You're given, um, you know, you you decide after going to church for about a year that you now want to volunteer. And then you want to go into the workforce and then you're, you're assigned to be a greeter. And then maybe after some time, you're now assigned to be the head of the department or whatnot. Um, you know, there is there's that sense of ownership that you own that, right? Okay. Um, and just using that church example, but but just talk a little bit about being reminded that although you own that, it is still God's work. And and oh, or is okay. you think of it that way? How do we how do we balance that thinking? How do we balance the ownership? Um, you know, to deliver. Uh, in excellence, and also, you know, the reality of God's work of it all. I understand. Okay, so let me let me simplify that whole concept like this. If you went to a a restaurant, okay, say you're going on a date with your wife, and you go to the restaurant, and um, you know you've you've 
you've never been to this restaurant before, but you've, you've heard um, great reviews about the restaurant. Mm -hmm. It's like a high-class restaurant and everything. Um, and you're seated at a restaurant and you're greeted wonderfully and everything and um, your reservation was kept. You got there, you sat in your seat. And then the waiter comes and says, hey, um, you know, introduces himself or herself and says, I'll be waiting on you today. What would you like to have? And then you say, well, uh, I'm still thinking about it, but in the meantime, go and bring me some water or something. Mm. The waiter goes and comes back with like, um, you know, let's say they come back with two smoothies or something. And then you say, well, okay, that's another table because kind of, I didn't order any smoothies yet. Right. And um, I asked for water and the waiter's like, yeah, I just thought you might like this. So I got you some smoothies. Mm. Then you say, well, okay, well, I don't want any smoothies. Okay, mm. take the smoothies away. Now I'm ready to order. Bring me a salad or something like that. Then they go, they come back, and they bring you like a massive, um, like a 24 ounce or 34 ounce steak. Steak, all right. Yeah. Uh, it's a little pink in the middle. It's steaming in the plate <laughs> over there. <laughs> and you're wondering what is going on here. Uh, <laughs> and you, you remind the waiter, well, I actually ordered a salad. I don't want, I don't want this much meat. Um, can you do something about this? And, and, and the waiter says, well, you know, I just want you to know this is our special today. And um, I thought you might really like it. Now, mm. at that point, you're beginning to think to yourself, what? What is going on in this restaurant? Right. What kind of establishment is this? And right. by the way, who's going to pay for these things? Because <laughs> right. Right. I didn't order this stuff. Right. You know, many times that's exactly how we treat God. Right. Um, we want to work for God, but hmm. we want to do it the way we want, not the way He wants. Okay. So right, even, though, even though, even though He, we we acknowledge that it is His work, and we're supposed to be waiting on Him. We just bring whatever we feel like. We just like, you know what? I think God might like a steak today, so let's let's do oh. that. You know, just bring a massive steak and slam it on the table, and it is a steak after all. Perspective, right? And and God has to take it. Well he just has to because because I because mm. I offered it, He has to take it. But what we don't understand is that He doesn't. Um, mm. He's He's the great Lord of Hosts. He doesn't mm. have to take anything from us. Yeah, he has, and he, in fact, when you when we grow to know the Lord, <laughs> we grow to understand that He has very specific wants. Mm. The things that He wants are very, very specific. He wants you, He wants you to do this, and He wants you to do it in a certain way. So even if you are a greeter, or whatever else you're doing at church, which is you know your father's house. Um, that's just part of ministry. It's not all that there is to ministry. Right. It behooves you to, to do everything you do at, at his behest. Because without, as I said, without me, um, John chapter 15, I believe verse 5. Or is it John 5, 15 now? Uh, sorry. John 5, 3 to 5. Jesus says, you know, I'm the, I'm the uh, vine, you are the branches. Branch, yeah. um, you know, anyone who bears fruit, my father will prune him and he will remain in the, in the, in the vine. Whoever does not bear fruit, he will be cut off from the vine. Um, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. That is literally the truth. It's not figurative, mm. metaphorical. It is literally the truth. We mm. can't do anything without him because it is him we are serving. So mm. how are we possibly able to serve him without his say-so? I mean, just imagine how ridiculous that yeah. waiter would look, bringing all these things to you that you didn't order. Yeah. And then before you know it, they bring your birthday cake and like, it's your birthday. When it's not even your birthday. Mm. And you didn't order mm. anything like that, you know? Mm. So mm. that's the way we treat God sometimes and we think it's okay, but it's, it's illogical. And, um, and God doesn't very much care to be treated, treated that way. Uh, if we say that we want to work for him, mm. then we must be careful to spend the time to know how he wants things done. And then mm. we must be careful to execute things the way he wants them to be executed. And so even if what it is you're doing 
is being a greeter, which some people might not consider very important, but I consider that extremely important. I agree. Um, and I'm a pastor, so I know how important a greeter can be. Uh, a greeter that you meet on a, on a Sunday service can be the difference between someone committing suicide and someone, mm -hmm. you know, someone um, giving their heart to Jesus Christ, feeling comfortable and wanted in, in church and feeling loved. So that, that's... That's very, very important. It's a very important role that you're, you're playing, even if that's what you're playing. And it, it behooves you to go and wait on God and see how he wants you to get, get it done. And then execute it in that way because you really can't do it well without him. That is just the truth. So, I mean, I hope this kind of yeah. picture. Okay, yeah. It does, it does. That was, that was, I appreciate that. That was that was. I, when you started off, I was I was I was waiting for where you were going with it, but oh. I, it was it was yeah no I, that was that was that was very much descriptive of how sometimes we we forget that we our service is to God, yeah. um, you know our service is to God and to, to people, but our service is to God, and so you know you don't you don't serve him what he he's not asking right, yeah. um, and um, that's thank you. Yeah, no, no. Right. And you know, you know, a good example of that. I'm sorry, from the Bible yeah, is um, um, Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. Mm. Um, I believe Matthew 17. Is it Matthew 17? Yes, Matthew 17. Um, when when Jesus is transfigured before them and he's standing beside those two great men, um, right. <clears throat> you know what Peter says. <laughs> This is build churches here, guys. I mean, who asked him to do that? To build church. <laughs> but well, exactly. I mean, on, on this rock, I will build my church. So yeah. his mind, <laughs> he was already like, exercising his, uh, the prophecy upon him. I know. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Guys, yeah. You know, I know what to do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's, let's build churches. Okay. Yeah. We're going to build three right here yeah. on the mountain. One for Jesus. Yeah. One for, um, yeah. one for, and, and yeah. you know, the Lord was like, this isn't what I'm asking you to do at no. this time. What I'm asking you to do at this time is to hear him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. That's what I want you to do right now. And so that's how we come across sometimes when we, we do stuff and we're so full of activities and we don't even take the time to ask what it is, Lord, you want me to do and how do you want me to execute this ministry? So, yeah, it's, 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 I think if we think think about the problem we have is that very often we don't think about God as a person. Mm. We think about God as this giant computer program in the sky mm. that you, you plug in prayers to and then you receive answers. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. but, but God is actually a person um, with emotions. He has the things that he wants and he's very particular. It's not like people, human beings don't know what they want most of the time, you know? No. Yeah. I remember telling my wife sometimes, I'm like, honey, can you just tell me exactly <laughs> what it is? Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I, I can relate. I, and very often she's like, you know what? I'm not exactly sure. When yeah. I figure it out, I'll let you know. Yeah. But it's not like that. That's why a relationship with God is actually so much easier to have than mm. a relationship with people. God is the easiest person to get along with, mm. contrary to popular belief. <laughs> because God knows exactly what he wants and he doesn't try to let you figure it out he just tells you plainly if you would care to know or ask tell you this is what I want do it yeah. and that's that um, yeah. so when we think about God as a person then kind of our approach to him and our service of him changes because we, we understand that we can displease him with our service or we can uh, we can do it properly <laughs> All right, so this question is one that uh, that's probably going to last time I ask it as I as I wrap up in general. But um, so you travel often um, um, as a result of being a pastor, and for, I imagine from time to time you might get um, invitations um, in different capacities. And I know this past year has been minimal travels in general. Uh, yeah. But um, as you've traveled, where is your perfect 
city, if you were to go on a vacation with family, you referenced earlier that your, your family had to travel early on in ministry and that you had to stay back and all that. But if you had a perfect vacation spot, where would it be and why? Oh, man, that's... Yeah. Very unrelated question. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I like that. Um, so the problem is that I have too many options. Uh, mm, okay. I have too many places in mind. Um, I think India is one of them. Um, because there's this there's this one hotel in India that I've always wanted to go to. It's, it's, I can't remember the name again right now, but um, it's the one that's floating. You, you have okay. to get on a boat to get there. It's like um, the whole hotel is just this floating um, a building in the middle of, 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 um, of water. And I've always wanted to go oh. there because it's just, it's really remarkable. Um, that's one option I have. Uh, I guess Cancun is a little bit too boring because it's just right there. But <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it could be fun. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've been to Cancun before with my family. Right, right. And, um, that was fun for sure but yeah. yeah i think i might want to go to india hmm. uh, i also have in mind some parts of the middle east that i wanted to go to so um yeah look i have many options but i i i think yeah i think i might i might stick with india um yeah